to our first season of the podcast, Growth from Darkness. We are your hosts, Amanda Blackwood. And Chrysanthi Dokos from Coast to Coast. As some of our listeners know, we're both survivors of complex trauma, and it's our mission to help others experiencing similar issues. This season, we're going to be digging into trauma reactions, their long-term consequences, and how we fight back to live our best lives. Yeah, every time you share something, the more and more I'm inspired by you. And I know that's hard for you to hear, but. Hi, Amanda. It's so wonderful to be back here again talking with you. Um, This week we're talking about the need for control as a trauma response. And um, we're going to cover, you know, what it is. We're going to cover how it affects us and the long-term consequences of that. And we're also going to talk about how we deal with that and um, hopefully by the end of this session our listeners will be able to have a clearer picture of what we mean by needing for control or the need for control um, as part of a trauma response. How are you today? I am fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, the sun's shining, skies are blue. What more could I ask for? (laughs) Life is a beautiful thing when things are going your way. Absolutely, they are. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And what helps them to go your way? That need for control. <laughs> <laughs> it all circles back around to the to the actual subject. It seems like every single time we talk. Of course it does. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> So I had everything is scripted that we say, of course, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, sure, sure it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I've had some interesting issues with the need for control lately myself. Um, Just throwing one out there, as you know, my uh, chronic hives have returned, Mm. and in my overwhelming desire and need to control the situation, I kind of maybe overdosed on antihistamines which is not a good thing and I caused some pretty nasty um uh, stomach problems for myself while I was on a road trip I was down in New Mexico and staying in a hotel and was violently ill for about 24 hours and my husband and I were supposed to be spending this time as a romantic getaway Amanda, that's awful. Yeah, you can imagine that probably um, did not work out like we had planned. <laughs> no, no. Oh, don't ever take that many Allegra or uh, Zyrtec together. <laughs> and you know what? That is actually uh, one of the characteristics of um, a person that needs to control by sort of overdoing things. So. But before we head into the characteristics and examples of um, the need for control, maybe we can talk about where it comes from first, uh, you know, in terms of the trauma, you know, the fight-flight mode. Would you like to go into that? Well, from what I was reading, the third stage of trauma is uh, bargaining, and that is where the need for control comes from. So... Bargaining is a form of a need of need for control. So that's that desperate need to control our environment begins to manifest. It anchors deep into our subconscious. And even after we've graduated well beyond that bargaining stage of trauma. So 
the normal reaction to the helplessness and the vulnerability and all of that stuff that comes from having experienced trauma is the attempt to regain some kind of control. This is how a trauma brain seeks to rebuild a sense of structure in life. Exactly. That's, that's so true. And it, it goes back to what you were just saying a moment ago, being out of control and feeling helpless. So essentially victims of trauma get to a point where they feel like they're totally powerless in any situation. And especially when it's been like um, chronic trauma, like, you know, in our examples, personal examples, you with the human trafficking, me with um, uh, domestic violence and narcissistic abuse, you feel like you actually don't have any power to stop what's going on or change your circumstances, don't you? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, this is common amongst people who've experienced abuse, neglect, violence, mm. um, things that you and I have never been through and not everything that we have. Mm. Um, trauma survivors usually often believe that what happened to them was somehow their own fault. And we've talked about that previously. Yes. yes. Uh, they think that it was something that they did to encourage or allow the trauma to happen to them and that they could have prevented it from happening if all they had was more control over the situation. Mm. Mm. So it's like a self-protective mechanism really, isn't it? Um, right. Because they haven't been able to, in these traumatic situations, to stop what was happening or change what was happening. And so moving forward, there's this overwhelming urge to exert control over everything in their lives. And in an ironic way, that can actually lead to more problems. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can fully remember multiple times that I've lost connection with friends uh, because of my need for control. Yeah. Talk, and it, talk me through that. Can you think of an example? Like how, how did you need to control the situation and what impact did that have on the friendship? I was very good friends with a man that had a couple of kids out in California and I used to go over there just about every weekend and hang out with them. It just became this regular routine. Mm -hmm. I fully expected this to be a routine. And one Friday when I was driving over there after work to go and hang out and spend some time with the kids, I sent a text message that said something about, I'll be there in about 20 minutes. Well, he responded with, beware. Oh, to your house. Why? Because it's Friday. But we're in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> I got very upset. I got, I was pissed. <laughs> I can't like, imagine. You, you didn't even tell me that you weren't going to be home before. You didn't ask for my permission to go on your family vacation. Exactly. is what it turned out to be. That's that was my need to control part. everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, was, they can't do that. That's not, that's not right. That's not the routine. Exactly. It's not. It's just we have not. a routine. It's, this is the safe routine. This is how it works. This is how life is supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that actually um, is an example of like very rigid boundaries, uh, 
you have to, it, it was the set routine and that, that's it. There was no possible other outcome than you going there every Friday. Right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And if there was ever going to be a different outcome from that, he needed to ask my permission because mm. it was my life too. Mm. Mm. And that's not how it works. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But when you, when you are a trauma victim and you have that need for control, that setting those rigid boundaries about how your life works is like a, a classic characteristic of um, the experiences that some of us who are trauma survivors might, might have. Right, right. And, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into uh, the subconscious of these controlling behaviors too. Typically when someone believes that it's within their power to prevent trauma from ever happening to them again, by correlation, this means that they also believe that being traumatized in the first place was their own fault. Mm -hmm. This is a really harsh realization for most people. Most people who have a need for control don't even realize that they might still harbor self-blame. Yeah, It might be buried really deep inside their subconscious. But if they have that need for control, this is probably why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Am I seeing a little bit of that in you, maybe? <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know whether I, I feel like I might have shared this example in the past. I can't remember now. But my sister once told me that she would change, come in and change the, um, the way that I had placed the cushions on my sofa one day just, just to do my head in because <laughs> whenever she came, she moved the cushions and she would laugh at me because I had always had them in this one particular way. And I said to her, you can't do that. And she wound me up so much, teasing me, that I ended up in tears thinking that she was going to break into my house and move the cushions. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> she just thought, you know, I was absolutely nuts. And for me it was total, it was, it was a trauma response. It was this need for control. And I can see it now, but at the time I certainly couldn't. Yeah. Have you mm. talked to her about it since then? Have you tell, told her about what you've learned about uh, trauma recovery and what that was? Actually, I haven't. You know, that's probably a really important thing to do. Yeah. I hadn't considered doing that. Thank you. I'm going to write that little note down to myself. Talk to my sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that need to control, man, it comes up at some of the most awkward times, too. Yes. Yeah. Have you got something in mind there? I do, but it's not PG. <laughs> oh, okay. okay well, so I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> maybe then we can move on to uh, the next example of like a characteristic that somebody who has a need for control might display. And that is being very reluctant to share personal information and, like, they're really private with people. Um, I'm, I'm not like that. I used to be an oversharer. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm toning that down now. But I suppose this is a vehicle for me to share to the world, <laughs> quite <laughs> ironically. Anyway, um, getting back to the point, 
Uh, I had a friend who was very, very secretive and she would ask you the most um, invasive questions, yet if you turned around and asked her the same, she would just clam up. Hmm. It was it was really fascinating to, to watch. And it, it used to really irk me, but now when I look at it in this context, it makes so much sense. Like she has experienced so much extreme and chronic trauma in her life that um, not sharing details is, is her safe space. Right. Um, and that happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also important to note that it's not just trauma survivors who exude this need for control. Mm. Uh, this is also a common tactic amongst the um, uh, abusers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we can look at it and we can try to analyze that all we want and say, well, if they have this need for control, there is maybe a chance that they've been traumatized in the past and that's where this need for control comes from. Maybe, maybe. But if they're abusive, it doesn't matter. You just need to get out. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it is It is true that uh, people who, have, who do abuse have been abused. You know, the to some is- degree. To some degree. I mean, you can take um, people like Jeffrey Dahmer, for instance, uh, who was one of the most uh, well-known serial killers here in the United States, had no history of actual abuse in his life. There are some people who just delight and they're sadistic. They delight in hurting other people and they don't have to have experienced it to be one of those people. But whether they have or have not been injured themselves in the past um, it's not our place to fix them either mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well I think that's it's interesting I was reading something the other day at the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath and they say that psychopaths are born and they actually have no empathy whatsoever and so that's where you get the serial killers from my yeah. understanding of, of what I was looking at yeah, yeah. But we, are that makes sense. we are digressing. <laughs> we are, and we have 15 minutes left in our episode. Oh. We're halfway there already. Wow. So let's go back to the reluctance to share personal information. So one of the yes. things about people who have experienced trauma, one of the things they really want is connection. But by being so reluctant to share personal information, they're actually distancing themselves from other people anyway so it's it's like a discombobulated way of being in the world Um, and and that's also another that leads me into another example of a characteristic of people who uh, have that need for control their past is off limits so they refuse to talk about it or even Mm. think about it because they're fearful that it may trigger something um, if they relive their past experiences. And I know personally, I think I've, I've, um, um, I've said before that I had experienced a really extreme sexual violent thing in my early 20s uh, 
And as a result of that, I didn't speak about that for years. I, I kept thinking I need to go and do some counselling about this, but I was too frightened. I was too frightened to, of going back into that space and completely and utterly losing control. It scared me to my very core. Right, and that links right back to the um, bargaining stages. If I don't talk about this, then I won't remember it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I can, I, I can honestly have yet another personal experience tied to this, not with my own um, inability to talk about it, but the, um, the anger, the absolute visceral anger I received from someone that I had thought was a dear friend when I came mm -hmm. out about my own past. And I started talking about being a survivor of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. She cornered me at a public event and screamed at me, you have to stop talking about this. All you're doing is making it worse for everybody else who's ever been through trauma. You have to stop talking about this. And I didn't understand at the time that what she meant was that I was trauma vomiting. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize at the time that that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But she had an extremely traumatic past of her own that she was not willing to face and she didn't want to talk about it. And mm. every time she heard me talking about mine or posting about it on social media, it would bring up some horrible memory for her and she would end up having um, uh, like a miniature uh, breakdown. Yes. And that's a, that's a horrible place to be. She didn't want to talk about it. I don't think she's ever gotten the therapy and the counseling and stuff that she mm. probably needs from everything that she's been through. And I, I have names to give her if she ever decides that she wants to. But she's, this is her form of control. This yeah. is how she controls the situation is by pretend, pretending it doesn't exist, which is also denial. Mm. Exactly. It certainly is. It, it's all very interrelated, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So another example, do you want another example for the need for control? Yes, um, I love the examples. <laughs> <laughs> um, being avoidant of intimate relationships. Mm. It's sometimes very hard to get to know people who've, um, who have this need for control, uh, but it's their way of safeguarding being hurt again. Right. Right. They close down because they have this fear that if they get into this relationship with this person that they find that they really like, mm. then eventually they're going to need to know why mm. something is triggering. Mm -hmm. And that means they're going to have to communicate with them and they're going to need to tell them the story. And, and that's, again, what they're afraid of. That's yep. what they're afraid of. Yeah, so what, one of the other ones that um, I was looking at was believing the worst in most situations because mm. they've had misplaced trust that led to the traumatic experience in the past and so they're afraid of making that mistake again. And I can't think of a specific example, but I know that I've been there. Um, if something went wrong, you know, I'd automatically assume the worst and um, catastrophize. 
things in my head. I still do this to a lesser degree. So if I don't hear from my husband and he comes home late from work, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's more than 30 minutes or so, I start to panic and I try to rein myself in and keep control over myself. There's a control again. Uh, mm-hmm. So that I'm not blowing up his phone and saying, where are you? I'm so scared. Mm-hmm. But automatically what I'm fighting against is my brain saying, he's the one wonderful thing that you have in your life that you're not willing to ever give up or lose. Mm-hmm. And he's just been taken away from you because he's been in a car accident. That's a horrible feeling. It is. It is. And he gets that. He's... um he's pretty conscious of whenever he's going to be late home. Now he'll send me a text message or something. Let me know. Hey, I just left. I'm going to be a little late. Sorry. You know, something along those lines. And it's for one thing, it's very respectful to do that because most of the time I'm working on dinner when he's on his way home, (laughs) (laughs) but it's also really helpful for a trauma survivor. This is a great way of being able to support somebody who has been through massive amounts of trauma is to have mm-hmm. that communication, to let them know what to expect from you. Mm-hmm. That's very important that being open and honest and communicative in such a way that uh, allows the couple or, you know, the friends, whatever, if, if people understand where you're at, they're more likely to um, support you. If they don't understand, then they themselves start making questions. And, you know, what's going on here? You know, what's, why is she trying to control me? Why is she try, trying to do this? It right. doesn't make sense. But, um, but it's often a matter of being aware, isn't it, that that's where you're at in order to be able to articulate it. Right. Absolutely. And if you're not familiar with it as being a trauma response, no. you're not going to be aware of it. No. no. And I think that's why I ended up starting to do all this research in the first place is because I wanted to know what is it that I'm doing? Why am I acting this way? Because this mm. isn't who I think I am. And it doesn't make any sense to me. And looking into all this stuff and learning what I have about behaviors and about trauma responses has been one of the most healing experiences of my life. Yes. Yes. Knowledge is power. Oh, absolutely. An interesting one that another way of um, like characteristics that someone might experience is one that I have found um, in terms of myself and other people um, who have been traumatised reacting to me and that is this sort of really being unrelenting around loyalty. So you're either on my side or you're my enemy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you sort of really fear being hurt by others. And so when you are let down, even in a, like a minor way, it can be a total deal breaker in the relationship because you feel like you can't trust the person. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's the, yeah, you're either with, mm. and we get this all the time mm. in movies, but when we start thinking in those linear terms, it gets kind of scary and, and dark for us. Yes, yes. I mean, I remember an example where one woman who had gone through the most horrible things, um, you know, we were getting together quite regularly and, and, you know, sort of building each other up 
And at this particular time that I'm referring to, uh, I was struggling. I was really struggling myself. And also my daughter was struggling with some things. And I was supposed to meet her this particular morning and I just couldn't. I, I, I didn't have it within me. And I sent her a message and said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to, uh, you know, reschedule. Something's come up. And she just lashed out at me and said, I can't trust you. You know, you've let me down. I need somebody who's going to be there when I need them. (laughs) She's over. Yeah, I've I've experienced those. Okay. (laughs) What can you do? What can you say to that? Yeah. We can only give what we can give. We can only share what we can share. And uh, when people who have a need for control like this demand more of you, it's it's really hard. It's really hard. Absolutely. And it's important to have those healthy boundaries too. You recognize right away, hey, this isn't healthy. I can't do this. Mm. You know, She wasn't in the same place as you were in the healing journey. And a lot of times when you let's say, hit your wagon to that horse, it's going to drag you wherever it wants to go. Yeah, yeah. That's Sorry, right. I've been watching a lot of Westerns lately. <laughs> I know, you <laughs> like them, don't you? That's my and, favourite. <laughs> and that leads me to the next example I was going to raise today, which is um, having unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because... It's- Sorry, it makes it so saying. much easier to sever ties with somebody when they don't live up to your expectations, and that's having control over the relationship. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to throw that out there because I've done that one too. Yeah. Well, you, you're demanding perfection from yourself and also from the other person uh, because of this innate need to be in control and have everything predictable. Um you demand this sort of perfection, which is crazy. Nobody can live up to that. You can't live up to that. And no no one else can either. And so it's easier to sort of, you know, avoid situations than um, be abandoned. And yeah. that's the, the last one I was going to highlight is that sort of fear of abandonment because people are unable to trust people in the past or they were exploited somehow uh, they generalise these feelings to current and future relationships. So yeah. even if you're given the most um, contrary evidence to show that, you know, this person isn't about to abandon you, you still are hypervigilant and look for all these little things and, um, you know, there's that mistrust again. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I, I don't need to trust you. You you've let me down, which means mm-hmm. I, I can walk away from this now. Mm. And it's such an easy way to sever those relationships. Like you were talking about earlier, it's hard to get to know somebody who's going through this. Mm. And this is just another tactic that, that that a person can use to be able to make sure that that's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So long-term consequences are quite varied, but one of the key ones, I suppose, is isolating oneself from a whole range of experiences and people and um, living a very sheltered life. Right, 
Right. And another big one for me was the false sense of security. Yes. You feel like you're in control, uh, but that is absolutely an illusion. You might be in charge of how fast your car is driving, but you have no control over where the potholes are going to be, or if you're going to get a flat tire on a nail, all you have control over is a gas pedal and the steering wheel. Exactly. That is so true. And um, that's one of the joys of life, that life is unpredictable. But as a trauma survivor, we cannot deal with that unpredictability. So, um, yeah. Can you think of any other long-term consequences? Um. It can make a survivor feel as though any kind of a change can be risky or dangerous. And yeah. this can be really dangerous because it can leave somebody feeling, it can leave somebody in worse off positions. You know, as an example, we could live in a terrible neighborhood. I did when I first moved out to Denver for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Fear of moving because we at least know the neighborhood well enough to avoid the worst parts of it. Mm-hmm. Fear of moving is a real problem. I was in control because I knew that neighborhood and I knew what areas to avoid. I easily could have gotten out of there, simply moved to another area that would have improved my quality of life, improved my level of safety. But Mm. out of that fear of change and out of that fear of loss of control, it made that move feel impossible. I couldn't do that. Yes. So we can come up with excuses to not go through with it. Those excuses can leave us living in a very bad place, physically and emotionally. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of being in a bad place emotionally, um, one of the outcomes of this need for control can actually be um, depression, anxiety, and developing a whole range of um, other mental health issues Um, because life is unpredictable and when something unpredictable happens, it causes us to go into a panic and we can be in that hypervigilant state that we've talked about in earlier episodes. And as we said in earlier episodes, that hypervigilant state then can lead to a whole range of um, physical health issues as well as um, psychological issues. So autoimmune disorders is is one example. <laughs> yes, and I've had some major deals with having to deal with that one recently. Mm. Mm. Um, so my autoimmune issues that I've had, um, you're aware of the variety <laughs> But yeah, this is something that when they creep up, when they find their way into your life, you can't heal them. You cannot get rid of them. You might be able to send them into remission, but there's no known cure for autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. So, So this is a major consequence of not fighting back against it. We have to be able to figure out how to fight back against this need for control, or in other words, take control of the situation of the need for control. (laughs) (laughs) So again, I think it comes back to what we've talked about before, Amanda, is um, A, recognising the behaviours in yourself, being being self-aware and doing things about it. Um, And that can be as simple as, you know, self-talk to 
actually seeking out therapy uh, because once you start experiencing therapy, the th those little blocks that are in your life, oh, major blocks that are in your life, actually start to fall away and you do start feeling like a whole human being that's not constantly walking on eggshells and looking behind them to see what's about to come and attack them. Right, right. Yeah, and it seems so strange and so counterproductive, but acknowledging, first off, going back in our, our mental states, acknowledging that we were powerless to prevent whatever it was that happened, undoubtedly helps us to move away from that hypervigilance. Yes, yeah. You're going to be able to exist with the current thinking and feeling rather than focusing on the past thinking and feeling, mm. even when you don't realize that that's what you're doing. Mm. Mm. You know, And so many people think that uh, being able to accept the feeling of knowing that you were powerless um, is called acceptance, but that's actually not what it is. It's not a form of giving up or giving in. You're not relenting to the abuse and saying that you aren't going to fight back against it anymore. You are acknowledging that it exists in your past. There's nothing you can do to change it now. And it's time to live a healthier life. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things about that is self-compassion. Right. Being kind to ourselves and understanding that we use these behaviours as self-protective mechanisms and we can learn we can unlearn those self-protective mechanisms over time and right. overcoming trauma and this sort of behavior the needing for control is something that is going to take time it's not a quick fix and right, exactly. that's where the self-compassion comes in being kind to yourself being understanding and giving yourself the time and space to heal from the past. Right. I mean, the harsh reality is that most of what happens in our life is not in our control. It's like mm. the analogy of driving down the road. You're in control of your car. You're not in control of the other drivers. You're not in control mm. of the conditions of the road. You're mm. not in control of the wildlife that comes running out in front of your car and you end up screaming at the deer because they're idiots. I mean, <laughs> we actually had that happen this past weekend. The, one of the few things that we actually can start to control is how we manage what we are feeling. We cannot control what we are feeling, mm -hmm. but we can control how we manage what we're feeling. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean to force out negative emotions and only let the good things in. That's what we've talked about previously about toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. But rather, it's quite the opposite. It's okay to feel joy. And it's okay to feel sadness or anger. And that's where the self-compassion, of course, comes in. But mm -hmm. part of taking care of ourselves now is the act of setting boundaries for ourselves and knowing that what, what our current limits are, understanding yes. what we need. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So going back to my cushion example, I needed my cushions to be on the angle that they were in. And I needed to articulate to my sister that that's what I needed. <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. That's a really simple example and quite trivial. But um, being aware that that's what I needed, that, that was all that ne I needed to do in terms of my self-compassion, that it was okay for me to have my cushions like that. Right, right. That's what you needed at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. And going back to my very first example with the friend of mine that had the couple of kids I love spending the time with, yeah, all needed in that situation to really be able to have a better response would be if he said, Hey, I know you usually come over on Fridays. We're going to be out of the state. Mm. You know, something as simple as a little bit of communication would have gone a very long way in helping to support me. But he didn't realize that this was something that I needed. And I didn't articulate that to him Mm. as being my need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, Amanda, I think we've probably come to the end of our session today have we i believe so Um, and as always a trauma-informed therapist can also be a great help if you feel like you're unable to travel this road by yourself um just make sure that you find somebody that you're comfortable with they can absolutely help with your need for control yeah yes definitely so what have we got on next week can you remember because i certainly can't See, I have this handy little cheat sheet. <laughs> I love your cheat sheets. Uh, next, next time we are covering dun 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 abandonment issues. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is huge! That one. I think we could probably do about four episodes on that one. Uh, we might need to. <laughs> You can find out more about Growth From Darkness through the website www.growthfromdarkness.com. You can also learn more through the Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.com forward slash growth from darkness. Thank you.